Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Southern Hills, give yourself a round of applause. You're here. You did it. You made it to church, and you have all of your family with you, right? Everybody's here. Some of you are like, Kevin, uh, you left them at home, but the rest of you are here and ready to go. Are you ready to study the Bible? If you are, give me an amen. Some of you are. Let's try that one more time. Are you ready to study the Bible? If you are, say amen. All right, let's do this. Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10. The art of being unordinary. How God is calling us to break the mold. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, how you can break the mold, each and every one of you. It's a three-week sermon series. And what I want you to do is contemplate the idea, the concept, that we live in a world that is attempting to shift the way you really are. Not who you were created to be. They want to fit you into a mold. They want you to be a cookie-cutter person. And Christ is completely against this concept. Already my family has started the cookie-cutting season. <laughs> How many of you grab cookie-cutters like this at home and you start making your, your cookie-cutted Christmas or Thanksgiving or Halloween? Uh, for some of you, you're Baptist, so uh, a harvest, right? Harvest time. So how many, of you, how many of you like the cookie cutters at your home? If you do, raise your hand. How many of you do that? You do? You do these, Jeremy? Okay. So do we. And, and this cookie cutter here is, is important for you to understand. This does not belong to me. Uh, I'm, what I mean by that is I, I bought it specifically for this sermon. Now, the reason I say that is because in the course of this sermon, I'm going to destroy this cookie cutter. And after the first service, I had a, a friend of mine, a man who comes to this church, correct James, I have friends, and the person came to me and said, Josh, how in the world are you gonna get away with cutting your wife's cookie cutters? First of all, sexist. How do you know they're not my cookie cutters? They're not. Number two, number two, uh, how, how do you not know that I'm, not, I'm a smart enough man to buy cookie cutters for this sermon illustration, which I will destroy? If you agree the pastor is not dumb enough to offend his wife, give me an amen. amen. More than once a day. More than once a day, I'll offend her. This cookie cutter, back to the cookie cutter. Where do we live today? We live in a day and age that attempts to control. And, and they do so for multiple reasons. First of all, you have money in your pocket that they want. You have influence in your life that they desire. There's a power struggle that's taking place, sure, all over the community, all over the county, all over the state, all over the country, all over the world, always has been. And, and what is attempted to take place by the power brokers of society is to fit you into a certain specific mold. There's a pressure to fit it. Don't ask that question. 
Don't say that word. Don't think that thought. Line up, shut up, listen up. Conform, fit in, wear this, eat that. Be content. Give consent, comply, conform. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, be not conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The goal of life is to understand who God created you to be and to fulfill the purpose God made you to accomplish. While the rest of the world is attempting to fit you into a cookie cutter form, Christ is here to free you from that and break the mold that the society is attempting to put around you in your life. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this sermon series, Unordinary. How God asks us and calls us to break the mold. And in this week, in these three weeks, we're studying Luke chapter number 10. And in Luke chapter number 10, I'm going to be revealing three stories that tell the disciple how we are to break the mold. The first story will take place today. The first story today is when Jesus sends 70 disciples out to preach the gospel for him. The second story is about the Good Samaritan, and it takes place next week. And the third story, two weeks from now, it'll be the finalization of this sermon series. It's about Mary and Martha. And all of these stories do the same thing. They teach the follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, how to be the person God's created them to be instead of fitting the mold that the rest of the world is pushing on them. If you're ready to hear this sermon, if you're ready to break the mold, give me an amen. Luke chapter number 10, verses 1 and 2. Look at what it says as it begins. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. You say, 70, pastor? I thought there were only 12 disciples. Well, there were 12 apostles that were called disciples. But the more disciples there were, disciples create new disciples. Now there's 70. And all of them are going to be sent by God, sent by Jesus into the community to preach the gospel. Now look what happens with these 70. The Bible says he sends them out two by two before the face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Last week in chapter 9, we said that Jesus had set his face to go to a city. He was determined to get to a city. Anybody remember what city he was on his way to? Shout it out. Jerusalem. He had set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why was he going to Jerusalem? Tell me. To die. Jesus Christ knew that it was his destiny because he was the son of God, to come to earth and die upon the cross for the sins of mankind, to be buried and rise from the grave, and in doing so, offers salvation to all mankind. He was on his way there, but it would be months before he would get there. And so before he went, he wanted to stop at every village, every little town, every little city along the way, and he wanted to preach the kingdom of God. So before he went, Jesus was very organized. He got 70 of his best followers. He set them up in two by two, and he sent out 35 teams to go to all the villages before he got there to get them ready. Hey, Jesus is coming, and when he gets here, he's going to tell you about the kingdom of God. And that's the passage that you're learning about right here. So Jesus, as he's about to send them out, Jesus notices perhaps a farmer in the field all by himself with a giant 
waving beautiful grain in front of him, huge field of grain. And Jesus makes an illustration, a visual aid. Look at what it says. Jesus sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. He wanted these people to be mold breakers, world changers. Then Jesus said unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He said, fellas, you guys look, ladies, look over here. You see this harvest? You see that farmer? Do you see the giant field? He's supposed to bring in all of that by himself. In the same way, he said, there's only 70 of you and the harvest is great. But the farmers are few. Friend, hear me. The world has more people in it than it's ever had. There are, there are more lost souls in our city than have ever been here. There are more lost souls in the United States and in the world than we've ever had record of. The harvest is truly great, but the, the farmers, those who are willing to bring in the harvest are few. So I want you to know I've been praying for you, like Jesus said to. I've been praying literally for years, Armand, that God would send laborers into the harvest field of Las Vegas. Some of you may not know this, but I've been praying for you, even though I didn't know your name, that God would send you to our church, that you would be born again and baptized and called as a disciple and empowered and trained to go reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is happening right now is part of God's plan that I've been praying for for years that includes you. And though I didn't know your name, Christ knew your name and has brought you to be part of this harvest. The harvest is great, but the, boy, the laborers, they're few. And so what does it say here? First, we must break the mold. What Christ was looking for then is what Christ is looking for now. Men and women who are willing to be world changers, mold breakers, individuals who don't care what society thinks of them, they care about who God has created them to be. How am I to be a mold breaker, a world changer, and live the life unordinary, pastor? According to Luke chapter 10, verse three, it begins by saying, you must go your way. Look what it says in verse three. Go your way, behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. First of all, go your way. Now, now I gotta just stop and say this. Every single one of us in this room are uniquely created. When it comes to following Christ, Christ doesn't want you to leave the world that tries to fit you into a cookie cutter position and try to fit you into a different cookie cutter position. Christ created you uniquely. Christ made you specifically. He gifted you individually. Who you are is exactly who God has created you to be. And he is perfecting you, molding you, making you. But you are one of a kind, becoming more and more like the image of Jesus Christ. And what you need to do is go your way, which means your way is not gonna be exactly my way, not to heaven. Of course, there's only one way to heaven. I'm talking about your way to accomplish your mission. For example, I'm the preacher in this church, one of them. But what does that mean for you? 
What is it that God is calling you to do today? For some of you, it's, it's to be one of the singers. Like the beautiful voices that are represented here. Or one of the musicians who play for Christ and play for you every Sunday. For some of you, Christ is calling you on mission to be a volunteer and to help with the kids ministry. Or to be a, a, an evangelist in this city. A soul winner who goes out and brings people to Jesus Christ. That's why you get excited about things like Kids Fest. Because you're like, man, I'm going to bring a family that I know. And some friends that I know. And all their kids. And it's going to be great. Why? Because God's called you on your way to do what God has called you to do. For some of you, you're a giver. Your whole role, one of your big roles as a follower of Christ is to give so that the buildings of God can grow and so more people can be saved and hear the preaching of the word of God. And with all of that, you are called on your specific mission to accomplish your specific task for the kingdom of God. Now, what we're doing today is looking at a passage where Jesus calls 70 specific people and sends them on their way. But what was true for them is also going to be true for us. He's sending them on a journey, and as he does, he tells them what to bring. Have you ever traveled on a very long journey before? Where's the farthest you've traveled on a long journey? I have a, a, a young man in the back raising that. You've traveled on a journey. Where did you travel to? We shouted out. Tennessee. How many of you have been to the rolling hills of Tennessee? Beautiful place to go. Amazing. I love Tennessee, except when they're playing Alabama. Can I get an amen right there? <laughs> amen, preacher. Amen right there. Hey, shake that bush. Amen. Who else? Who else has traveled? And they'll shout out where they've traveled to. Yes, sir. Where have you traveled to? What's that? To Japan. You've traveled all the way to Japan. And it's a beautiful place in Japan, correct? Yeah, that's right. And if I'm not mistaken, you're from Ireland, is that right? So from Ireland to America to Japan and all over the place. And whenever you traveled, did you bring a bag with you? Do you, you have a few bags. Okay, so you're kind of a high maintenance kind of a guy? Is that... <laughs> oh, you brought your wife who brought a few bags. Now they're both pointing at each other, all right. <laughs> Young man, did you, did you bring a bag with you when you went to Tennessee? You, maybe. You're not sure? It's like, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea. Did you, you don't know if you brought a bag? Yeah, I did. Yeah, he did. He's not sure. He's, oh my goodness. Uh, we, we pray for these souls. Amen? You understand? We, we do. We love you, brother. Now, now when you travel on a journey, you got to, obviously, you're going to bring some stuff. And what's really interesting in this passage is Jesus is 70, 70, sending out 70 people and he gives them a packing list. But it's not what you think he wants you to bring. In fact, he goes out of his way saying, don't bring a, a backpack, don't bring any money. And then he goes through what they actually need to bring. And, and this sermon, I'm gonna share with you the six things that God tells this guy, a checklist for packing on a, on a Jesus journey. Six things on the checklist that Jesus told them to bring, and they're the same six things you need to bring if God has called you on a journey. Maybe your journey is to be a godly father. Maybe your journey is to be a, a wonderful wife. Maybe your journey is to be a representative of Jesus in the community, downtown, on the strip. Wherever God has called you, God has called you specifically as a disciple of Jesus Christ to go on the journey for him. And he's very specific about what you need 
to bring. You say, why do you have to be so specific? Why is he so, because children, and God is our father, children need specific instructions. Because when we don't have specific instructions, we do stupid things. Any, any children of God here who have ever done dumb things? Raise your hand, okay. My, my, my poor son, I, he was 12 years old and he's 19 now. So he's away at college, so he'll never know I told this story. <laughs> when he was 12 years old, um, we noticed arising from my son a scent that had not previously been there. <laughs> he, he, he smelled like he, he looked like a little boy still, but he began to smell like a man, not in a good way. You know what I mean? Like the stench was ripe and real and, uh, and it was around us constantly. And my wife said, John, Josh, you got to talk to the, 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 the dumb person that lives with us. And I said, about what? Deodorant, go get him some deodorant. So I went to my cabinet and I grabbed out some of my deodorant and, and I said, hey son, come here. He said, what? I said, you smell bad. <laughs> You know, like really, you don't, it, you don't even, you can't tell because you're with yourself all the time. And I'm with you just a couple minutes and it's bad. It's, it's like I have tears in my eyes right now just being here. And he was across the room. I threw the deodorant at him and I left. My wife said, did you give him the, de I said, yeah, I gave him the deodorant. But I did not take time to instruct him on how to use the deodorant. So the next morning, true story, my wife walks by his room and there he is looking in the mirror and he's taking his deodorant and rolling it on his shoulder like this. <laughs> what are you doing? She said, to which he replied, using my deodorant? My dad says I smell like a dude. <laughs> so she came and told me, you gotta tell your son where to put the deodorant. You say, is that a true story? Every person who's had a child that age knows that's a true story. <laughs> Why? Because without very specific instructions, we often make really foolish decisions. So Christ says, if I'm going to send you, I'm going to give you very specific instructions on what to bring. Do you want to know why it is perhaps that you've been on this journey with Jesus and it might not be going so good? Do you want to know why you've been walking on this journey with Jesus and you've been on mission for him? And you're like, I'm not sure I have all the things I needed. It could be that you missed the packing list here in Luke chapter 10. Do you want to know what the six things are? If you do, say amen. amen. Number one, you got to bring, verse four, number one, you got to bring courage. You have to bring courage. I'm going to say number one, you say courage. Number one. Look at verse three, it says, go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. He sends out his 70 and says, go. He didn't say you're wolves among lambs. Christians, disciples are not supposed to eat up the world. We are supposed to be calm lambs of God who are shepherded by the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. But the world is a dangerous place. And there are wolves who are attempting to eat up that which belongs to God. If you do not see that Christianity is a lifestyle, a religion, a faith, a relationship that is looked down upon and not celebrated as once was, then you're not looking very closely. 
Christianity is not something, true Bible Christianity is not something that is lauded. It is now something that is, well, it's discouraged. And the Bible says that those who follow the evil one are wolves who attempt to destroy the flock of God. You say, wait a second, pastor. Uh, Are you saying that it's dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Historically, to be a follower of Jesus Christ meant to take your life into your own hands. It meant the danger of not only losing your relationships, but losing your business, losing your home, and possibly losing your own life. And so Jesus knew these people were in for it. And he still knows, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you need to understand you're in for a rough ride. You say, well now, why would I do it? Because if you follow Christ, you're supposed to bring with you courage. You know, I don't have to be afraid as a sheep. I don't have to be afraid as a lamb when I know I walk with the shepherd. No matter what wolf or lion can approach me in my life, hear me, I've got the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. So I don't know what it is that you're facing right now as a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're thinking to yourself, what am I gonna do? I'm scared to death, the wolves are around me. I feel like I'm surrounded by all the things that are in my life, what am I gonna do? As a sheep, I would suggest go close and cuddle up near the shepherd. And as you get closer to the shepherd, you'll find out your courage grows. But if you're gonna go on a journey at all, the first thing I would pack is your courage. If I say number one, you say courage. Number one. Number two, you've got to bring, if you're gonna go on a journey with Jesus, number two, you've gotta bring your trust. You have to bring trust. Look at what it says in verse four. Jesus says, Carry nothing, excuse me, carry neither money, bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Jesus said, okay, go for me, but I don't want you to bring your money. I don't want you to bring your uh, Jansport. I don't want you to bring uh, your, your, your bag. I don't even want, some of you are like, well, I, I got the gift of gab, so if I don't have to bring anything on this journey, I'll just talk people into giving me stuff. He says, don't talk to anybody along the journey. I want you to go for me, and I want you to be completely trusting that I'm gonna provide for you every single day. Jesus literally, back then, sends 70 people without anything, and God was gonna provide for them every day. Jesus today is sending you out, and he's saying, don't worry about all these things. I will provide for you along the way. Just trust God. Where God guides, he always provides. Now, if God is guiding you into the ministry, if God is guiding you into that volunteer position, if God's guiding you into that small group, if God's guiding you into that relationship, if God is guiding you out of that relationship, if God is guiding you, he will provide for you. That's what he's saying. You say, man, that's tough. I gotta, I gotta trust that God's gonna do that. Yeah, trust isn't easy, is it? Do you know why trust is not easy? Do you know why? Because, because we're lied to all of the time. Everybody lies to us. I have grown so cynical, have you? Like everything I read, I'm like, ah. Everything I watch, I'm like, mm, probably not. Everybody that talks, I'm like, I don't I probably, I, probably they're lying to me. You know what I mean? Like, I bought a bag of Doritos. I thought it was going to change my life, man. I I really did. 
You watch the commercial and you're like, this is like, if I get those, look how happy and attractive I'll be. I was already happy and attractive. I thought I'd be even more and the Doritos didn't help. Didn't even help. In fact, opposite. You know what I mean? Felt bad, looked bad. It was bad. I mean, um, <laughs> you want to talk about ad, uh, advertisements you can't trust? I don't know if you guys know there's, the, there's a, a political season happening right now. Did, are you aware? <laughs> oh, you've heard about it? Did you hear? Yeah, people running for office and all sorts of stuff. It's happening. I don't know if you noticed. It is. It's a big thing right now. And, um, and what's really great about these ads is none of them are believable. Like you get them in the mail, right? You get them in the mail, you can compare this candidate to this and they're both, you know, like yelling about the other. And they're all like so, they're, they're so like over the top, aren't they? Aren't, aren't they? They're like, Billy Jones. Billy Jones wants to eat your dog. <laughs> and you're like, really? Billy Jones is like, my dog specifically? Yes, your dog. I don't even have a dog. Your neighbor's dog. Billy's gonna eat your neighbor's dog. Extreme too extreme for Nevada, right? <laughs> and so, by the way, please don't tell me if you're like, I thought it was true. That is your, <laughs> Billy Jones doesn't want to eat your dog. He's not too extreme for the kennel. You know what I mean? Like it's, they lie, right? It's exaggeration. And the reason why it's hard for us to trust God is because we're surrounded by authority figures who are always lying to us. The reason why it's tough for some of you to trust your heavenly father is because you had an earthly father who was always lying to you. And so a guy like me is like, trust your heavenly father. And you're like, father what? And so this idea of trust is not easy, but here's what I'll tell you about your heavenly father that your earthly father did not have. Your heavenly father loves you with a perfect love and has never, ever, ever once lied to you. He has always been there with you and has been guiding you with a loving kindness and a patience your entire life to bring you into your destiny and into his eternal kingdom in heaven one day. He has been calling you and uniquely gifting you to come to him, cutting the bad things out of your life and adding good things in your life so that you can be eternally happy with him in heaven one day. But it's hard to trust. And what I'm saying is, God, if God has been calling you on a journey of life, number one, yeah, bring your courage. Number two, Jesus is saying, bring your trust. You can trust him. Number three, number th you want to know what the third one is? If you, if you do say amen, you need to bring your consistency. Consistency, say it with me. Consistency. Look what he says in the next verse. Jesus is sending him out right now, verse five through seven. But whatever house you enter, first say... Now remember, these are 70 real people going into the villages before Jesus gets there. And Jesus says, when you go into the villages, you'll enter a house and first say to the house, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, a Christian, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house, just stay in that one place. Jesus is giving very specific instructions. Some of you are like, okay, don't go from house to house. Pastor, are you telling me now is not a good time to sell my house? No, this is not real estate advice. Can I get an amen? I don't know what I'm talking about with real estate. So what is this saying? Jesus was saying, look, when you go into a town, just stay there and keep consistently ministering there until they get rid of you and until you feel God calling you home. Do you know what I notice is the biggest mistake people make in their lives? as it relates to ministry for Jesus, and I would say overall, 
is a lack of consistency. Longevity breeds success. Inconsistency breeds major setbacks. So people jump all over the place. We do this with our jobs, right? You get a job and you're like, man, I've been working at this job for like two and a half months and now I gotta work over this job for like two and a half months and then another job for like two and a half months and you're like, why am I still poor? It's because for the last 10 years, you've jumped from 22 different jobs. I'm trying to help the young people in the room, okay? Amen? Amen. We do this with relationships, we get bored. This relationship was amazing for like two and a half months. And then something went wrong. You know why? Because you're a human and they're a human. And you jump from one relationship into the other and then you jump from the next one into the next and they jump from the next to the next and, and you're always chasing that euphoric feeling of beginningness. We do this with jobs, we do this relationships. Hey Christians, some of you do this with churches. You jump into the church, you're like, this place is amazing, it's got no problems. No, you just don't know about them yet. My last church was filled with problems. They were filled with problems because you were there. Now you brought them here, here. See? I'm just, I'm just being serious. So, <laughs> but we jump from one to the next to the next. We do this with ministries. Pastors do it. They stay a year at a place and another year and another year and the two months here, four months there, six months here. No consistency. But I see this within churches as well. Like, try this little ministry, try this small group for a while, try helping out with the kids, try in the choir for a little bit. And you know what I've noticed in my life? I've noticed when I continually consistently invest, when I continually consistently live, when I continually consistently stay in the same job, when I continually consistently stay in the same relationship, when I continually consistently work on the same friendships, when I continually consistently, I, instead of saying, look at how green their grass is over there, instead we just water our own lawn and now our grass is green. If you're going to go on a journey for Jesus Christ, open up that bag and put in their courage, put in their trust, and I would say, number three, put in there some consistency. Say consistency. Number, three, number four here, but make sure you bring some love. 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 You say, I'm a Christian. Are you sure I have room for love in this backpack? The answer is, if you don't put love in your backpack on the Jesus journey, you're not on a Jesus journey. Can I get an amen? The Bible says God is what? Love. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, you must bring love on this journey. Now, back then, he sends 70 people out specifically, and as he sends 70 out, he says to them in verse eight, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. You say, pastor, that, that doesn't say the word love. Oh, yes, it does. Are, are, you, um, are, you, are you kind of picky? Any, 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 any seven-year-olds who grew up to be 43 uh, here? Anybody? You're a little picky on what you like to eat, very specific, right? A little persnickety about it, right? So I'm gonna tell you about being a missionary. So one of the things that missionaries are trained, remember I, I went to college and I trained in seminary and I studied you know, theology and ministry. And a lot of the people I went to college and grad school with are missionaries around the world. They are Americans or they are uh, British Europeans who are going to other parts of the world and to be missionaries, pastors like me, but in other cultures. 
South America and Africa and Asia and all over. And one of the things they're taught in their courses is what's called cultural sensitivity. Why? Because missionaries are not there to expand the reach of their nation or to expand the reach of their culture. A, a, a missionary from Britain isn't going to Africa to make Africa into Britain. A missionary from America isn't going to Japan to make Japan more American. A missionary is not called to, to translate our culture into somebody else's culture. A missionary is called to bring the kingdom of Jesus into a new culture. Can I say amen? So how do you do that? The answer is when you go to that culture, you live like that culture. You dress like that culture and you speak like that culture and, and you eat what that culture. That idea goes all the way back to the words of Jesus here. So what he's saying to his disciples is, hey, you guys are gonna go out into these places and some of them are not gonna eat what you eat. And this was interesting specifically for the Galileans because the Galileans would have been very specific in their diet, even to a point of being religious about their diet. And Jesus is saying, hey, when some of you go to Decapolis and down in Samaria, some of you are gonna have some food that you are not used to eating. And you're gonna be like, is it wrong for me to eat this? And Jesus is like, just eat it. Quit freaking out and eat whatever they put in front of you. Why? Because you're not there for you. You're there representing the kingdom of Jesus. My, my son and I, uh, a couple years ago, he was about 16 at the time, learned the whole deodorant thing. It was fine at that point. And um, we went to a place called Vanuatu. It's a string of islands off of the coast of Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea is a string of islands off the coast of Australia. And so we went to this, uh, uh, how many of you have ever heard of Vanuatu before? Would you raise your hand? You've been at Vanuatu, right? Survivor a couple years ago? Okay, there it is, right there, all right? And Vanuatu is this string of islands way, way, I'm telling you, way out in the middle of, uh, of the Pacific. And the island we were going to was not the main island, it was a side island, Espiritu Santos. And the village we were going to is not the main village, the one with the two restaurants and the gas station. It was a five and a half hour trip by truck into the jungles. And when you think of remote villages and native peoples, this is what would come to mind for you and for me as an American. And so the opportunity was amazing. A church had started there about 30 years previous. And God was really doing a wonderful work in this village. And we had an opportunity of going and, and ministering with the pastor and the missionaries. And so I remember we went up there and um, uh, as we were going in this truck ride, I leaned over to my son and I said, now son, when we get there, we're gonna have dinner. But I said, it's not what you're used to. There's no Chipotle, you know what I mean? There's no Chick-fil-A, you know? They're like, what are we gonna eat? I said, I have no idea. And you know, both of us are picturing like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. We don't know, we have no idea. I said, now whatever, Jesus says, no matter what set before us, we need to eat. Why? Because we're not there for what we like. We're there as ambassadors representing the kingdom of Jesus. So we must show cultural love. Does this make sense? If it does, say amen. amen. Say, man, I'm so glad that I live in America where I completely understand and agree with everything in the culture. Amen? <laughs> what does that mean for you as an American Christian who lives in America? 
It means that as an American Christian, we should never validate the sin of the culture, but we should be sensitive to the needs and the perspectives of the culture in which we live. Let me ask you a question. Are you being a good missionary to American culture? Are you? How about in your social media accounts? Are you being a good missionary to the American culture right now with your social media accounts? Are you being culturally sensitive to the mindset of these people? See, but they just think so wickedly. Do you expect them to think like Jesus? I gotta tell you, I'd really like to lead some people to Jesus. What you mean is you wanna find somebody who already thinks like you in 99% of your life and then pray a prayer over them and suddenly they were converted. Are you being culturally sensitive? I'm not saying validate sin in any way. I'm saying, have you thought of yourself as a missionary in a really broken, screwed up, backward-minded world? And are you showing them love? And are you reaching them with the truth of the gospel? Maybe we need to be challenged like that as a Christian. Amen, maybe, yeah. What's the other things we ought to pack in this briefcase? Well, if we're gonna pick it up, we've got in their love, we've got in their consistency, trust, we've got courage. Number five here, we better bring in, oh, here it is, you better pack his voice. You say, what do you mean his voice, Pastor Josh? If you're gonna go on a journey for Jesus, don't bring your own voice, bring his voice. Look what he says. Look, this is really interesting. Look what he says in verse nine. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. He says, you're gonna go into some of these cities and some of these people, even though you eat whatever you, you're set before and even though you're culturally sensitive and you show love, there are gonna be some cities that receive you and to them say, good, you have received me and now you have received the kingdom of God with me. But there are gonna be some that say, get out of here. We want nothing to do with you and your Jesus. Get out of here. Then what you've gotta do is say, the kingdom of God came near to you, but you are rejecting the kingdom of God. The point in both scenarios is that they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting God's kingdom. You are not speaking for your voice, you are speaking in his voice. Understanding this makes you an ambassador of the kingdom of God, a diplomat for Jesus. It means that how you walk and how you speak and how you interact with people truly, genuinely matters. You're not only their dad, sir. You are an ambassador of a kingdom for those children. You are not only a grandmother, my dear sister. You are an ambassador for the kingdom of God for those dear grandchildren. Your neighbors need to know you as a diplomat for Jesus. Your coworkers need to see you as an ambassador of heaven. You represent his voice wherever you go. Imagine you're president of the United States and you appointed some ambassadors that were going to Europe and Asia and Africa and, and, and South America and they were embarrassing the home kingdom. You would get rid of them. Don't you understand what I'm saying, my brother? You represent not you, you represent him. And so you've got to bring his voice to the scenario. Amen. Which leads us to the last thing you need to pack on this journey. The last thing you need to pack is honesty. 
You cannot go for Jesus if you're not gonna bring love and truth all at the same time. Look at what he says in verses 12 and 16. He says, but I say to you that it be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. He says, some of these people are gonna reject you, but don't worry, it's gonna be more tolerable for the most destroyed city than it is for that city. And then he goes on in verse 16, because he who hears you hears me, and he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects him rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Jesus is ultimately saying this. He's saying, look, if you go and they reject you, they rejected God. And you need to be honest with them about what it is to reject God. Hear my voice, men, women, followers of Jesus. The message they were given is the same message that you're given. And that is the kingdom has come and judgment is on its way. And you show love and you trust God and you show all sorts of care and kindness. But as you go, be honest about the message. God's kingdom has come in the form of Jesus Christ. And now he spreads his message through the church as, as much needed help as we need. He still spreads the gospel through his church. The kingdom has come and now judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on this world, yes, but judgment is coming upon every individual soul. And one day, every man and every woman will by themselves stand before God and be judged for their own life. It is our responsibility to let them know how to prepare for that day of judgment because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that can save them from their sin. So what's the point? The point is, if you're gonna go on this journey, bring, bring honesty. Say, okay, Pastor Josh, I think you proved your point. I, I think I know what I'm supposed to bring. I, I, I'm ready to do it. So, so what, what, what can I do practically? Well, you can ask these questions about these, these things that you need to bring. The questions are, are these things that we need to pack on this checklist, are they natural? Are they optional? Are they beneficial? The answer is no, they're not natural. If honesty was natural to you, you wouldn't be such a people pleaser who said different things to different people like I do. If trust was natural to you, you would never struggle with stress because you'll be fine trusting that God will always take care of it. If love was natural to you, you would always be doing for others and never for yourself. No, these things are not natural. That's why you need to pack them. They come from Jesus. They're not optional. That's like telling your seven-year-old as you're trying to train them to pack on their own, all right, get a suitcase and put in toothpaste and a toothbrush. And they look at you and say, which one? And you're like, both of them. <laughs> which one's optional? They're all important. Friend, all six of these are a must. So what happens if you do bring all these things? Are they beneficial? The answer is yes. Verses 17 through 24 tells us the benefit. I'm not gonna read the passage, but I'll tell you what it says. It tells us that all 70 of these people come back to Jesus, and you'll notice in verse 17 it says, they came back to Jesus filled with joy. Do you know why they were filled with joy? Well, because it goes on to say, they came back to Jesus and they said, man, we're so filled with joy because we found out that the devil has no power, for, power over us when, we are, when we're on our journey. 
When we're on a journey with Jesus, the devil has no power over us like it does the rest of the world, which means what happens? It means the world who is trying to conform us into its own image, the mold is broken. We have a completely different way to live. While the rest of the world that is confined to a place called a confirmation of image, the devil has no control over us. Jesus says to them in the rest of the chapter, hey, you know what's exciting? Don't just be excited that the devil has no power over you. Be excited that your soul has been saved. Do you know what also gives us joy? Is that our soul has been saved. We don't have to ever wonder and hope that one day when we die, we're gonna go to heaven. We're not conformed to the image of the rest of the world who glaze awake at night and wonders what happens after death. We've broken the mold because the devil has no power over us and we know where our salvation lies. And then the Bible says in verses 21 through 24 that Jesus goes alone to pray and on his knees he says to God the Father, I am filled with joy of the Spirit of God because they see what the wise men of the world will never see. They know what the wise men of the world will never know. What was Jesus saying? He was saying what's beautiful about my followers who are on mission is that they know things that the rest of the world will never know. They see things that the rest of the world will never see. As a Christian, you break the mold because you have an understanding of how the world works in a way the rest of the world will never know. And what does that do? It brings great joy. Don't take my word for it. Take the word of God for it. And talk to those people who have been on mission for Jesus Christ throughout their whole life. There is incredible joy in serving Christ and knowing who you are and what mission to which you've been called. This is the life unordinary. Let's pray. Father, today we've learned so much about what it means to be sent on mission by you. And my prayer is that you would help every man and woman and teenager in this room, that we would grasp the idea that we are, don't have to be conformed to the image of the way the rest of the world lives, acts, thinks, walks, talks, but that we can be conformed to who you are and that we can live out the unique, specific, individual giftedness that you've created us to be. Help us to see it. Help us to live it even further. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Are you Thank glad you, you came today? For watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.